Hey guys, it's your boy Devin Nash, BSK, play by play, asking you to like and subscribe, but also to spread the word about my new book, PG vs. MoCo, a memoir of high school football in the shadow of the nation's capital. The state of Maryland has produced some of the top names in college football and the NFL, from private school sensations like Trayvon Diggs and Chase Young, to the public schools that are responsible for Joe Hayden, Navarro Bowman, Sean Merriman, Trayvon Diggs, and Jake Funk, to name a few. This book is a collection of interviews and personal accounts from journalists, coaches, fans, and former and current players from public schools in two of Maryland's most prominent counties, Prince George's and Montgomery, that aims to tell our story and raise awareness on what's brewing in the area we affectionately call the DMV. I would appreciate it if you all could support by purchasing a copy on Amazon and spreading the word to friends and family. Thank you all for your love and support, and be sure to like and subscribe. This is play-by-play -play analysis, Devin Nashby on the mic, so you know it's hella lit, better plug your headphones in, on Apple Podcasts, and we up on Spotify, Ooh. on Anchor too. no parachute, we so fly, we talking sports and music, what's the newest, and that culture, better stream, yeah you better tune in, it ain't gon' cost ya, we talking sports and music, what's the newest, got exclusives, yeah we do this play-by-play, -play. follow the page, eh? if you don't know, don't worry about it. And what is going on, everybody? It's your boy, Devin Ashby. It's the Play-By-Play -play Analysis Podcast. Devin Ashby, SCA, Play-By-Play. -play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, well, don't worry about it. I got a very special guest in the building. Um, he works for the Undefeated, senior sports and culture writer, and the creator of the newest 30 for 30 podcast, King of Crenshaw. I got Justin Tinsley. How you doing, man? Hey man, pleasure to pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, man. For real. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. This was something I definitely had to do once I saw it was coming out. You know, I gotta tell you, always been one of my favorite writers. Definitely somebody I've modeled some of my work after. You know, and in, in different things. Appreciate it, man. And um, so I had to ask you just off the bat, what was the process like of putting a project together like this? How did this idea come to pass? Ooh, well that. That's probably a two-part question. So I'll um, I'll try to answer the second one first, and then I'll hold on. Let me close my email out. Sorry about that. No problem. No problem. Um, yeah. So I'll try to answer the second one first, and then I'll go back to the first one. So how did an idea like this come about? So to make a long story much shorter, uh, one of my best friends that I went to Hampton with, and we've just been friends for, excuse me, um, uh, almost twenty years at this point. Uh, he's the one that put me on in Nipsey, probably back in about like 2006, 2007 or something, somewhere around that time. And he knew I'd always followed Nipsey's music throughout the course of you know his career and his life. So in 2018, I was just getting back to D.C. from New York uh, working on a story. And he called me and he was like, would you be interested in doing a story on Nipsey Hustle? And, and at that point in time, Victory Lap had been out for maybe mm, about two, almost three months at that point. And it was my favorite album at the moment. And I knew if, it, if they were coming to me, they wanted to try to get him some coverage on ESPN. Right. And I was like, that'd be great because I, I've always, yeah, I was always fascinated by Nipsey's relationships with guys in the NBA. Just, you know, what, what the stories were behind that. And uh, so he introduced me to his close friend at Atlantic Records, who was Nipsey's publicist at the time. Um, her name is Brittany Bell, one of the greatest ears in the music industry. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. 
and and um so we we had a we had a few conversations and we came up with the rough idea to you know examine Nipsey's NBA uh brotherhood friendship or however you want to call it right I don't want to make it seem like the idea was like this close to being completed or anything like that it was still in the very 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 early stages but you know he liked the idea he wanted to try to get it on camera I would have loved to get it on camera as well, but you know, schedule schedules are what they are, and it just didn't work out. So he was busy in 2018. You know, I, I, I maybe wasn't as busy as him, but I, you know, I definitely wasn't twiddling my fingers. Right. And I just always figured, like, all right, we'll, we'll we'll knock it out at some point. And you know, unfortunately, when he lost his life in 2019, I was really shaken up by that. But I also knew I didn't want the idea to really just sit on the shelf either. You know, I didn't want that to pass away with, you know, his physical. And so my former boss, Kevin Merida, he told me in like late 2019 that, you know, maybe you should try to develop a pitch for it for 30 for 30, see if you can get like a, a podcast out of the deal. Right. And fast forward, fast forward to that, you know, around the time the quarantine started last year, mm-hmm. um, that's when the discussions really began to pick up in terms of like, what's your script look like and all that. So to answer your first question, what does a process like that look like? It's a long process. That it, it probably really started around like mid March, 2020, like right after the quarantine happened. That's how I was spending a lot of, a lot of my time in quarantine developing a pitch what these episodes will look like. What the, what are the themes in each episode? What are the overarching themes throughout the entire series? Who are who are some people who I would like to talk to for this? So the, the script went through maybe about like six or seven drafts and iterations till we got it to a point where we were um, really comfortable with it to move forward. Then the team had to be filled out. And then, you know, we had to go through all of our interviews, which is at least 30, 30 plus interviews, I know. And from there, you know, you really have to start scripting out what the episodes are going to look like. You know, um, what music are going to use? Are, are you going to use then? How long is the episode going to be? So it, it's a very, you know, to quote Nipsey, it's a marathon process. Right. It, it's not something that happened overnight for sure. Definitely, I feel that. I feel that. Now I know, I can't speak for everybody, but me personally, I can admit that I wasn't a huge. Nipsey, like when I first, I didn't really know a whole lot about him at the time that he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was kind of my, like I knew him because I knew him as he was with Lauren London. So I I knew him that yeah. way, but I wasn't like a f- avid listener to his music. But I did, once he passed away, something about it still felt so unsettling. Like, you know, just yeah. seeing the amount of people who were just distraught over it and you know, then I got a chance to go listen to his music. I got a chance to understand more about him and what he was doing in the community in L.A. Like, I guess his thing was always he. Everybody says what you mentioned in the thing. Everybody says they're going to give back to the communities. But a lot mm-hmm. of people do it from afar. You know, he was a guy that stayed in the community and gave back at the same time and it was like absolutely i guess that's something that you noticed that seemed to really resonate with the people he spoke to whether it was nba players his people in his close circle that type of thing like what was it about him that just really stood out to people like i mean you know for for lack of a for lack of a better term or phrase however you want have you excuse me however you want to spin it he was just very authentic like what you saw is what you get like he, he wasn't one of those type of guys that put on uh 
put it on a facade or an image for this crowd and then switch it up for another crowd. Like what you see is what you get with this guy. And um, he was, you know, it, it, as he says in songs before, like he, he got into music to make money, you know, starving artists ain't my style that, you know, that stuff will drive me insane. Right. You no, know, but also, you know, his community was very important to him. Like very, it, it, we always hear of people you know, that are invested in their communities, but they invest from afar. And, and, and you've listened to the podcast. So and again, as Garrick says in there, Garrick Kennedy, one of my really good friends, and I'm just really blessed that he was uh, a part of this as well. Mm-hmm. I just said, look, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but it's very rare that you see somebody invest in the community and then stay in the community. Right. It, it was very clear that, that all of his actions, whatever he was attaching his name and his likeness and his image and, and his time and presence to, it was to better his community. And, that 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 is very endearing and very authentic because you don't meet too many people like that. Right. You don't meet too many people like that, or if you do, maybe they're different behind closed doors. But again, I I didn't know Nipsey personally, um, but everyone that I've ever talked to about him was like he didn't he didn't change when cameras were around. He didn't change when you know uh, he was being recorded. Like he he was always Nipsey Hustle. So. Like, that was the most endearing part of him because he understood who he was at every moment of his life. And not a lot of people can say that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because we're all still trying to figure out who we are at certain points of our life. But especially at the very, very end of his life, he was very comfortable in his own skin and very comfortable uh, with who he was, what he was trying to pursue, and what he ultimately wanted to accomplish. Right, definitely, definitely. Um and I know, like you said, he was very authentic. He was very real. One of the things he never missed words about was his gang affiliation. And like, you know, he was part of the rolling 60s. You know, a lot of people, obviously, if you're not in that world, you don't know too much about it. But sure. for good, for bad, for ugly, is there anything you learned, I guess, about L.A. gang culture that you didn't know going in? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, you under, I, I always knew about the nuances and, you know, the complexities of it. But but once you start talking to people that that live around this type of environment and then some who are directly involved in this type of environment. And again, I knew this the entire time, but I think it's very, excuse me, I think it's very important to emphasize that, like, when you hear gang member, when you hear... Like, oh, rolling 60s Crips, when you hear Pyro Bloods, when you hear whatever whatever the set of, of gang is, yes, there there is some very, very grotesque and violent elements of that lifestyle. Like, nobody will ever, ever sit here and say otherwise. Right. But also, like, this is a very humanistic type of uh, camaraderie as well. Mm-hmm. And again, we may not truly understand it completely but it's not for us to truly understand it completely because we're not part of that life um these are you know like for nipsey and guys like jay stone and kavi supreme and you know just other people who were featured pac-man and gunman who were featured in this podcast it wasn't like you know this wasn't like a jack and jill program where you had to be from like affluent communities or you know middle class communities to to join these social clubs like this social club was literally right outside their front door and it was an ecosystem that was hard to hard to ignore and hard to avoid. So it wasn't like so when Nipsey has that clip in there, he's like, you know, this this image of gangbangers that you hear, you, you, 
that you hear that just, just these like cold-hearted killers like it's it's far from that like you know i lived in i lived in california for a year and i still have a lot of really really good friends like i i have friends who are bloods and crips who are you know they work in different industries like it's not something that they you know walk into the office well when you could walk, when you could walk into an office <laughs> yeah. like claiming your set or anything it's just like that's the neighborhood they grew up in that's the environment that they come from like a lot of people go on to have like careers in these type of things like long-term careers in different fields like it's not just if you're a gang member you've just thrown your entire life away again there's some very negative and very unfortunate and very tragic uh realities that come with that lifestyle but that's not all there is to it right and i do remember reading somewhere back like that the original meaning of bloods and crips was to kind of protect people and it was like a patrol against you know hostile like it was it was a thing and then you know obviously into the 80s and 90s is when it really started to turn violent and kind of a confrontational thing but when you when you when you bring in stuff like you know guns being infiltrated into the hood and and crack and all that the crack crack era like it 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 changes a lot of things because you know you know houses were you know neighborhoods and generations were ripped apart due to crack and like guns being infiltrated in the neighborhoods and Mm -hmm. you know the lack of resources and i mean we know we know for a fact that like the same resources that are in Calabasas or, you know, Beverly Hills are not in Compton. parts of Compton, are yeah. not in yeah. South Central. So, like, when you when you have a lack of resources in your neighborhood, you're going to try to protect the resources that you have by, by any means necessary. And unfortunately, that comes that comes with violence in, 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 you know, in many cases. And unfortunately, people lose their lives and generations are torn apart. Like, the whole thing is like really, really deep, man. The whole thing. It's not just black people wanting to kill other black people just for the sake of killing black people. It's not that. It's right. always something deeper. Right. So to the music. I know yep. this is something I learned recently. Like, I mean, me, I always kind of consider myself a fan of West Coast music. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm not like an expert or anything, but just the West Coast music I do know. I've yep. always kind of loved it. So it caught me kind of by surprise to hear like like Debbie Brown who you spoke to was talking about like the East Coast just didn't want nothing to do with LA you know yeah. and after especially after what happened with Death Row and everything and then going into the 2000s so this new generation it was like Nipsey, Kendrick Lamar, YG come a couple of my favorites and Dom Kennedy some of these other guys yeah. like what is it about LA's music scene that makes it such a pariah? Man I mean just for one I mean you were right man when it's like Death Row crumbled. I mean, Death Row really started to crumble at the top of 96 when Dre left the label and I believe March of 96. And he, he went on to form uh, Aftermath through Interscope. So that left... I mean, at one point, Death Row had... You talk about big threes in basketball. At one point, Suge had Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Tupac yep. all, all signed under the contract at Death Row at one point. And, mm-hmm. But almost as quickly as that trio came together, like the label started to crumble. And after... Dre left after Tupac was killed and after Suge was sentenced to a lengthy prison sentence after his role in the Orlando Anderson beating in the MGM Grand mm-hmm. in September, like right before Tupac was shot. And then once Snoop left, like Death Row, not Death Row, West Coast music for, by, by and large was dormant until, I mean, you can, you can make the, the argument that until the game came out. 
with like the documentary in like right. 2005 and and then after him there was another stretch of like there was the game and then nobody else but around the late 2000s there was this new class of artists that came in and what they did really well is what artists before them have done so well on the west coast is like you know of course it if you rap you're lyrical in your own way right but you know when people think of like lyrics and like you know they, they think of people like Nas they think of people like Jay they think of people like or even somebody from the Midwest like a Lupe Fiasco who's like a wizard with lyrics or common or whatever the case may be right um you know but what the West Coast does so well and what they've always done so well is just like they paint a picture like like they rap so well that like if you close your eyes like all right i'm on the corner of prince don slawson all right i'm in compton all right i'm on venice beach you know what i mean like I'm, I'm doing all that so they paint pictures with their words so well and i think that's what that new crop of like mcs did the, the ygs the don kennedy's the kendrick the j-rock the, i mean the black hippie as, as a whole um schoolboy q at absol like they just paint pictures so well and when they all kind of burst onto the scene roughly around the same time it was just like wow like there's something really special brewing out west and it was just a matter of where each artist was going to take their individual career right right and i know nipsey it took him a little while for compared to some of the other ones but he had this just different like hustle mentality you know to the point like his first tape he always was a guy that bet on himself so he sold the Crenshaw tape for a hundred dollars, which people are looking at, people were looking at him like even in his own circle, like, oh, you crazy. And you know, he's like, no, just watch me. And then obviously the jump, I think, I don't know if it sold out, but like he was just selling to the point that it got Jay-Z's attention and he bought a whole box of them. Like yep. this man's mentality. And I think that's probably what resonated with so many of his athletic friends, like the James Hardens and the DeMar DeRozans and, it's is like what is it about and i noticed more so than football or any other sport what is it about rap and basketball that's so like intertwined man like that's that's such a really good question and it's a, you know it's something i tried to tackle within over the course of the series in particular like episode one to really tie that down um they for one Rap was created in the early 70s, and, you know, basketball was starting to look a little different in at the time of the early 70s. You know, obviously the ABA was still around, and they were known for, like, their, their, their pizzazz, their charisma, their ability to freestyle, and obviously the great black players within the NBA as well. So, and but even beyond just the NBA, uh, you know, basketball and, and, and it's... And it, its essence and its soul like we see we see it play often play out so so often on blacktops and you know different courts whether it's in you know your city whether it's in my city whether it's in a town like and they, they play off on these courts and in, in these settings where you know hip-hop is really being cultivated from as well and you know that there, there's like this respect level because to be really good at basketball, you got to put a lot of work into it. To be really good at rap, you got to put a lot of work into it. I'm not saying that those are the only two professions where you got to put a lot of work into it, but you know they marry each other in a lot of ways from a competitive from a competitiveness standpoint. And so, when you look at the rise of the NBA, especially over the last fifteen or so years, um, there's been this embrace 
more so by the players. I would say, obviously, by the league as a whole, but definitely by the players uh, that that embraces hip hop culture because you know the hip hop artists are always name dropping people in songs, and, you know, dedicating you know certain bars to certain players, and you know these players before the pandemic, of course. You know they could sit courtside. There, there, there's a level of accessibility that you can get with the with the basketball game that you can't get at at a baseball stadium that you can't get at a football stadium because in basketball you're right up on them. And, and they don't you know, wear pads they, or anything either. Yeah, exactly. You can, you know, like Jay Z once said, you know, I'd be spiked out. I can trip a referee. And he could if he wanted to because he's that close to the floor. You right. know, so they they've always worked in tandem with each other. Like they've always. Each world has been fascinated by each other, and I give I give a couple examples within the within the podcast. I mean, Master P played for the Toronto Raptors and the Charlotte Hornets. Right. You know what I mean? Shaq has a song with Biggie Smalls, and it's actually a really good song, one of Biggie's best verses. Like the the Jada Kiss and Allen Iverson commercials are legendary. Like mm-hmm. these worlds have always lived, uh, lived lived amongst each other. They they. They're in the same community. So when you look at somebody like Nipsey, you have all of those, you have all of that history. But then a lot of these guys come from South L.A. They've walked the same streets that Nipsey has walked. They've experienced a lot of the same things that Nipsey has experienced. So when you see somebody who shares a lot of life experiences with you and you can listen to their music, you can listen to them talk and be like, wow, like I see a part of myself there. That that's where it goes just beyond a celebrity friendship. You know what I mean? That that's where a real friendship is is uh, established. So it, it, to answer your question, that was a long answer, but it, I, I wanted to make sure I, I, I gave as much nuance as I can. Like at the end of the day, there's a genuine friendship because they survived a lot of the same things growing up, and you find a kinship in people who have survived things that. You know um, that is unfortunately taking away other people. So it's like we we've made it to this point. Let's celebrate that that we're here at this point, but also understand that you know this isn't guaranteed and this isn't promised. And what can we do to better the next generation? Is the way they don't have to live by these life or death odds. Right. And I know you didn't mention this one, but I know one of my favorite commercials was Kobe Bryant and Kanye when they were like, oh, you know, yeah, you're a different yeah, animal yeah. and the same beast yeah. and all that. Yeah. And, what the heck are you talking about, Kobe? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? But I bring Kobe up because he's, you know, a year after Nipsey, mm-hmm. we lost Kobe, you know. And for L.A. to lose two people like that in just about a year's time with very similar, like, the things that Kobe, the Mamba mentality, and then, you know, Nipsey's marathon match are like, mm-hmm. they are so similar and so alike in so many ways. So I think that's another reason that they can it, relate to people weird, as well. Man, because, you know, I was there when I was there maybe a day or two after uh, Nipsey was murdered. And then I was in the Staples Center actually working on a story about Nipsey for the Grammys when the news about Kobe came in. Right. And it's just like they they both lost their lives doing what they'd always done. Like, Nipsey was just at his store, chilling, just making sure everything was working straight with the business. Kobe was taking a helicopter to a basketball game because if you live in L.A., you do not want to get caught up in the traffic. They died. They were died doing the most normal Nipsey and Kobe things that you could possibly do. And, yeah, that... that, Man, to lose lose Nipsey, who was such a 
a local icon who eventually became like this this superstar well beyond LA. And then and obviously Kobe is like this international icon already, but like to LA, he was just like a vein and an artery and a heartbeat. Right. You know, to lose both of them back to back and then go straight into a pandemic, you know, the city of Los Angeles was, was reeling really bad. And in a lot of ways, the city of Los Angeles will never get over losing both of them. Like it would have been tragic you know, however they lost their lives, you know? But in the manner in which they lost their lives, just being who they were, I think that brings an element of a pain and, you know, it's hard to find closure in, you know, so. Right. And I guess to to wrap things up, um, what do you think, like, Nipsey's legacy will ultimately be? I mean, Nipsey's legacy is... I mean, he said it himself, the marathon continues. It's all about perseverance. It's all about endurance. And it's all about understanding um, whatever your passion is, whether it's whether it's journalism, whether it's teaching, whether it's, you know, whether it's coaching a sport, whether it's something else, whatever passion you have for yourself, you just got to understand that, like, if it's a passion, it's something, if it's something that you genuinely want to pursue and you feel like this is your calling, then you won't quit. That's what it means about the marathon continues. And you you keep going in the face of adversity. So that's his legacy. His legacy, I mean, his musical catalog speaks for itself. It's incredible. But in terms of just how, do, how we approach everyday life, just understanding that you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have moments that get you. It, it feels like it's going to get you out of your character. But understand that, like, nothing is more powerful than your own purpose. And if you keep that in mind, if you understand that, then that will unveil that will unveil itself in ways that you can never imagine. And it's all about helping people along the way too, man. Understanding that you don't go through life by yourself. You don't go through you don't like it, nobody wants to, nobody should want to achieve success by themselves so they can hoard it all to themselves. So that's his legacy. And just sharing that with people, just understanding like community is key. Community is key to evolution, perseverance and and just you know, making sure like whatever blessings that that you were able to give people that they don't stop with you because none of us live forever. We all got two dates on our tombstone: the day we were born, the day we die. But the most important thing is that little dash in the middle. That's why that's why our life story is. So, how much can you fit in that dash? And Nipsey fit a lot into that dash in a short amount of time, too. Yeah, yeah. But Justin, I want to thank you. I want to thank you uh, for taking some time out of your schedule to talk to me. You know, this was really cool. You know, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, no problem. And before I go, I got to ask you, favorite song off Victory Lap? Okay, I'm not be holding to this answer because if you ask me again tomorrow, it might be a different, it might be a different one. But uh, I would probably have to say right now, um, Dedication. With him and Kendrick, especially that yeah. that second Nipsey verse on there was, woo. Dedication, crazy. Dedication is top two for me. It's dedication, and then last time that I checked, which you met, which you touched on in the podcast. Yeah. But for those who are not, that time I checked is a banger. For yeah, sure, that's a banger. Yeah, that was that was like the arrival. <laughs> it felt like an arrival for him, you know. But yeah, King of Crenshaw. It's on 30 for 30 podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts at. Y'all check it out and check out Justin's work on the undefeated dude is a really good writer. He mentioned 
some of the stuff he's done. Y'all check him out, you know, but thank you. Thank you again. Also, we got a, uh, a bonus episode dropping next Monday, uh, August 30th. Uh, it's called The Extra Lap, and it'll be featuring uh, a lot of Nipsey's production team, Mike and Keys, 1500 or nothing. And they give a lot of really great behind-the-scenes stories about what it was like being in the studio with Nipsey as he created some of his his, his biggest songs. And not even just not even just Nipsey musically, but like, what was he like in the studio? What were those conversations they had? So it's a really intimate portrait into, you know, a part of Nipsey's life. So... Check that out next Monday, August 30th. It's the bonus episode, fifth episode, whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, just check that out wherever you get your podcast, as you said. And I just appreciate all the, the great feedback that I've been getting thus far. And at the end of the day, it's all to honor the legacy of uh, a great man. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, this has been the Play-by-Play Analysis Podcast. I'm Devin Ashby, and we got to go. And I'm going to see y'all when I see y'all do this.